0: Hello world and welcome to the Overtone Warp Zone. This podcast is for people who enjoy games, love music, and want to know more about how their favorite songs work. In Season 1, we're taking a look at musical concepts found in pieces from Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. I'm Dan Bergman, and let's get started. We can finally play as Banjo and Kazooie! Nintendo released a Direct on September 4th, teasing us with the release date of The Bear and the Bird, which was that very day! I've been too busy playing them over the last few weeks to talk to you guys, so here I finally am. I think all my Smash hopes and dreams have finally come true in this character. This is amazing. Speaking of that Direct, here are some other things Smash related that were revealed that day. Terry Bogard, everybody's favorite Fatal Fury fighter, is confirmed as the next DLC from the Fighters Pass. I confess this is a character that I did not see coming, nor did I know exist, but Lord knows I will do my research for this in time for his release in November. I do love that I saw a news article shortly after saying that Japanese kids, who also had no idea who he was, referred to him as a muscly Pokemon trainer. (laughs) Speaking of DLC, Sakurai confirmed that the new characters to Smash will not end with our five Fighters past characters. This honestly makes me so excited and I cannot wait to check out all this new content with you. We also, of course, got Smash version 5.0, which came with everyone's favorite mode, Home Run Contest. It's fun just to watch people, or I assume robots, show off how insanely good they are at this mode in particular. And of course, I can't forget to mention the music. This time, we have 10 new tracks to the game, three of which are taken straight from Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Tooie for the N64. Those being Freeze Peak, Vs. Mr. Patch, and Vs. Lord Woo The remixes are of the main theme Mumbo's Mountain, Treasure Trove Cove, Gobi's Valley, which includes some of Gruntilda's Lair, Mad Monster Mansion, and Vs. Klungo, and of course, the Spiral Mountain theme, which we heard some of at Banjo's E3 announcement. This remix was brought to us by none other than Banjo-Kazooie's original composer, Grant Kirkhope, the first American composer to work with Sakurai for Smash. Sadly, Sakurai told us that Banjo-Kazooie music was too country for a fighting game. If he's concerned about appropriate genres for a fighter, need I remind him that he included this song in Smash Ultimate. Also this song. And this song. Everybody But I digress. Ten songs is better than none. Oh, and uh, lest I forget. We got quite a surprise in that Toby Fox's Megalovania from Undertale is an additional song that comes with the purchase of the Sans Me gunner skin. What an incredible accomplishment for this guy. The only downside to this announcement is that Bandra's release was almost dwarfed by the meme horde of fans thirsty for Undertale Smash content. But to each their own. I could go on all about this Direct and the stuff that excites me besides Smash itself, but I've digressed long enough. Let's get into the dang episode already. For today's song, we'll focus on Mumbo's Mountain. This new remix is by Hiroki Hashimoto. stuff. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Banjo, let's fill you in. The 90s are what many believe to be the golden age of Rare, the company that brought us the Donkey Kong Country Trilogy, Donkey Kong 64, Conker's Bad Fur Day, GoldenEye 007, Perfect Dark, Killer Instinct, and the Banjo series. In the beginning of that decade, director Greg Males and the Rare team were bringing to life an ambitious JRPG-inspired pirate fantasy game for the SNES. Using the codename project DREAM, it continued to go through many iterations, including a transfer to the N64, before almost every element of it was scrapped. The design of the protagonist shifted from a kid, to a bunny, and finally to a bear, who wielded a sword. However, as the genre of the game shifted to a 3D platformer, following some inspiration from the recently released Super Mario 64, and a realization that the initial vision was too ambitious, this bear was imagined to have a backpack that held all kinds of power-ups, such as a pair of wings that allowed double jumps, and a pair of legs that allowed for quick and special movements. You can see where this is going. The developers realized eventually that the backpack shouldn't contain items, it should contain a character. That character was Kazooie, and of course... The bear is our protagonist, Banjo. Due to some delays, Banjo's first appearance is in Diddy Kong Racing, rather than in his own game. I love this because it means that the worlds of Donkey Kong and Banjo Kazooie are, at least in the 90s, intertwined. And in Banjo and Kazooie's reveal trailer, the rest of the Rare cast are pumped to see them. I love it. Banjo Kazooie and its sequel, Banjo Tooie, released to critical acclaim in 1998 and 2000, respectively, being cult classics still revered by its fans two decades later. Before we talk about where things went wrong with this franchise, let's listen to Grant Kirkhope's original composition of Mumbo's Mountain. I agree with Sakurai, this version definitely suits a quirky platformer with sparser action to a brawler. In 2002, Rare was acquired by Microsoft, and Banjo's troubles began. After two unimpressive Game Boy Advance releases in 2003's Grunty's Revenge and 2005's Banjo Pilot, the infamously disastrous Banjo and Kazooie Nuts and Bolts was released for Xbox 360 in 2008. The game itself slammed the platformer genre that the series had its roots in, and it pictured the protagonist as fat and washed up. Worst of all, it was a racing game, with Comic Sans and a giant, empty, boring world. Fans were mortified. They booed when Sakurai mentioned this game in the Nintendo Direct this month. Even the original Banjo-Kazooie developers craved a new and proper sequel, a Banjo 3e. So much so that many of the folks who worked on the original games made a Kickstarter to make a spiritual successor known as Yooka-Laylee, which came out at the end of 2017. The game released to mixed reviews. Perhaps the only thing that can satisfy this craving of ours is a new and proper Banjo-Kazooie title. But with 11 years since the last flop of a game, and 19 years since the last Banjo-Kazooie platformer, will this ever happen? Well, at least we have them in Smash, and back on a Nintendo console and we have their music. Speaking of that quirky banjo-kazooie sound, here's the topic of today's episode. Tritone. A tritone is an interval, meaning the distance between two notes. The tri of tritone tells us how many steps away these two notes are, three whole notes. So for example, C and F sharp are three whole tones away, C to D, D to E, and E to F-sharp. Since a whole tone is made up of two semitones, then we can also carry that on and say that a tritone is made up of six semitones. C, C C-sharp, D, D D-sharp, E, F, and F-sharp. Now, if we decide to descend to our tritone instead of ascend to it, we start from our high C and work our way down three whole tones. We go from C to B-flat, E-flat to A-flat, and A-flat to G-flat. Technically, using our modern tuning methods, an F-sharp and a G-flat are really the same note. As you can see, this note is exactly halfway between the two notes of an octave, and can be defined as either an augmented fourth, in other words, raising the fourth scale degree, in this case, from F to F-sharp, or a diminished fifth, lowering the fifth scale degree, in this case, G to G-flat. In a major scale, we have one naturally occurring instance of the tritone. We can find it between the 4th and 7th scale degrees. In a natural minor scale, this interval would be between the 2nd and 6th scale degrees. More on that later. You've probably noticed that these two notes together don't sound particularly pleasant. The tritone lies between the perfect 5th and the perfect 4th two of the most consonant, or pleasing-sounding intervals. If you're familiar with the circle of fifths, the tritone is the note that lies at the furthest point away from your starting note. There are other acoustical reasons for why this is such a big dissonance, but perhaps that's a topic for another episode. Needless to say, this interval has been an issue throughout music history way back when church plane chant was invented, composing conventions strayed away from this interval. Not only because of its dissonance, but also because of how difficult it is to sing. This interval would later become known as Diabolus in Musica, or the Devil's interval. And while it's sensational to think of the early church banning singers as heretical for singing this note, what's most likely is that it just simply was never sung or even composed at all, due to it being considered bad practice. As music developed and pieces began to flesh out into multiple parts of harmony, the use of the tritone became virtually unavoidable. During this time, it appeared buried in what we call the dominant chord, a chord that's built off of a scale's fifth degree that resolves to the root chord. Remember that the fourth and seventh scale degree we talked about earlier make up the tritone in the major scale. Those notes are an integral part of the dominant chord, and they tend to resolve outward by step toward the 3rd and 8th scale degree. A lot of good music is built off of the idea of tension and release. A bunch of major chords on the root isn't very interesting, and neither are a bunch of random chords using strange intervals. But careful placement and voice leading of these chords can be a satisfying composing mechanism. It's kind of like going from a sauna to a cold bath to a sauna again at a spa. Into the 20th century, the jazz idiom began to develop as well, and with it the use of many chord extensions, such as sevenths, ninths, 9 11ths, and so on. Of course, the more notes you stack on a chord, the more intervals you have within that chord, and the more often you'll come across a wacky one like a tritone. The interval has been embraced as being an important part of the jazz idiom, especially when comping on an instrument like guitar. It's often the 3rd and 7th of a dominant chord that are the most important for them to play, which of course is that tritone interval. Also in this era, composers of all genres picked up on the millennia-long trope of the tritone being an evil and dark-sounding combination, playing off the Devil's Interval mentality, and so have used it to induce that kind of dark effect. For example, it can be found in Richard Wagner's opening chord to Tristan and Isolde, which is a kind of opera-drama thing based on a tormented, adulterous love between the Cornish knight Tristan and the Irish princess Isolde. Here it is performed by Wilhelm Furtwängler and the Philharmonia Orchestra. The anguish of this chord matches the anguish that these lovers would experience throughout this drama. Here are some other places that the tritone is used in other genres. The opening to YYZ by Rush. opening to Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. And here it is in Black Sabbath's Black Sabbath from the album Black Sabbath. Now here's the tritone in a totally different context. Maria from West Side Story. Maria, I've just kissed a girl named In this case, the opening chord is in the Lydian mode which you'll remember has an augmented fourth built into it from the root. The E of Maria is like a leading tone to the five of the chord. And so in this case, the tritone has that floaty quality of the Lydian mode, rather than the sinister dissonant quality we usually think of with the tritone. Here's another example of the tritone. interval is all over this thing. The Simpsons theme composed by Danny Elfman makes the tritone seem quirky and stilted due to the oom nature of the backing instruments. Now we're getting a little bit closer to the feel of the music from Banjo-Kazooie. Let's listen back to the theme of Mumbo's Mountain. very first chord progression is littered with tritones. The song starts in C major, does a hard transition to F sharp major as its second chord. We can consider this part our A section. In our B section, we have a veritable tritone We tritone hop from D-flat major to G major, which acts as a dominant chord leading us to C major, where we tritone hop to F-sharp major, which acts as a dominant chord leading to B major, where we tritone hop to F, and finally the pattern is broken as we go to D major, acting as a dominant to G major, acting as a dominant to finally C major again. And the pattern begins anew. In section C, we have what mostly sounds like some normal chord progression in a new key of F major, but in the turnaround, we abruptly jumped from F to B, which, of course, is a tritone. This thing's all over the place. And that's Super Intentional by Grant Kirkhope. The Banjo-Kazooie games don't use a lot of complex chords, They're often simple, major, or minor triads. But the progressions he uses can make it sound complex, as they hop to and fro. Kirkhope knew the franchise was going to be a silly one, and the polka-sounding oompa oompa rhythm made for a good bass. As for the use of the tritone, he used it because of the duality of the characters of Banjo and Kazooie. While Banjo is a kind-hearted but dim-witted individual, Kazooie is clever and sarcastic, meaning the pair contrasted each other well. Almost every song in Banjo-Kazooie is in either C major or minor, with frequent use of the tritone chord F-sharp major or minor. None of the notes of these two chords overlap with each other, giving this music its distinct feel. And really, it's not just Mumbo's Mountain that makes use of the tritone. It's in almost every song in the entire soundtrack. And here are just a few examples. The main theme of the game uses a tritone in the speedy banjo riff. While the chord built on the tritone isn't used, the tritone itself as a note is used as the minor seven of the flat six chord. Near the end of the song, Kirkhope uses a technique that makes for easy and relatively pleasant sounding tritone usage. A flat two five one chord progression. Two, five, and one is a fairly common chord progression. And flattening the 2 chord is an easy way to switch it up and fit the tritone mold. Treasure Trove Cove uses the flat 2 5 1 chord progression as well, near the end of the A section. The B section is another tritone sequence of chords. goes from C major to start that B section on the tritone F sharp major, which is the dominant of B major, which then goes to the tritone F, resolving to B flat major. The pattern breaks here as the next chord is an E flat, which is actually just a perfect fourth away, and then it goes to A flat, and then finally G. The C section uses the tritone in the middle, right here. and the D section is just straight up back and forth between C and F-sharp. Free ZZ Peak starts in C major, and after 6 bars does a hard transition to G-flat major and stays there. Throughout the song, Kirkhope covertly switches between these two keys at various points. Within each section that uses those keys, it actually does sound fairly consonant, but it's that stark shift between the two that emphasizes the fact that the tritone is still a major part of this song. And of course, I could go on and on and on. But rather than continue on this tangent, I'll let you listen to the new Mad Monster Mansion remix, arranged by Michiko Naruke. This one is in C minor, often switching to F sharp minor. See if you can spot each instance of the tritone in this tropey spookfest. You enjoyed the episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast or suggestions of a song or music topic. Leaving a rating or review on your podcasting platform is a great way to share that with me and helps Overtone Warp Zone gain some exposure. You can stay up to date on podcast news by visiting the website OvertoneWarpzone.com. If you found some enjoyment from this podcast and want to give your support, check out my Patreon at patreon.com/slash overtonewarpzone. Until next time keep playing